This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to a very special St. Patrick's Day episode, number 614 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. This, you'll be hearing this after St. Patrick's Day, but you know, whatever. We're recording on I mean, St. Patty's Day. It, it is St. Patty's Day today. I've been drinking black and tans all day, and my name is Matt Palm. Uh, I've been drinking Diet Mountain Dew all day, which is technically green. I'm just having a blast. So, right just to get I get it. I get it. Uh, I switched over to water, though, because I'm an old man, and if I drink caffeine after 6 p.m., I'll be up all night. Honestly, uh, that Diet Mountain Dew is worse for you than crack cocaine. <laughs> That's probably not true, but thank you for playing. Uh, of course, I am the Internet's Joe Patrick, and until yesterday, I thought St. Patrick's Day was on the same day of the week every year, like Martin Luther King Day and Thanksgiving, but no. Nope. Just the same date. Yes, like I get it now. Christmas. I get it. Uh, you would think that uh, a day named after me would be more important to me, but it's not. Go figure. This, this week, we are back to reviewing new comics from the past two weeks. And after that, we'll tell you all about our must-read picks for next week. St. Patrick's Day isn't really named after me. I just like to say so. And finally, the comic pushers return to talk about must-read Dick Grayson stories. And you can bet... There will be penis puns aplenty. It's all happening in this St. Patty's Day episode of THN. So let's get this Donnybrook rolling in true Sean Cassidy style. It's review time in the cigarette! Sonic Scream. Yeah, dude. We've been working on that. This week's pile of new comics gives us a look at DC's new frontier. Word on the street. It's infinite. I'm not buying it. That's what they say, man. A Spider-Man that just doesn't know when to stop and more ex-brats. Matt, since I'm the only true Irishman on the show, I'm going to start us off. In true Irishman fashion. (laughs) That's right. My first review is of Superman 29 from DC. This came out last week. Philip Kennedy Johnson starts his run as the new writer of both Superman and Action Comics with this two-parter featuring art by Phil Hester and Eric Gapster. At first glance, it seems like a pretty run-of-the-mill story about creatures invading from another dimension. But really, it's about what happens when a child, in this case, John Kent, finds out that one of their parents, even a super one, isn't as indestructible or infallible as they grew up believing. We've all been there. There's also an interesting conspiracy afoot with Amanda Waller and Star Labs testing Superman's limits. What could that be about? I don't know. <laughs> Amanda Waller always has uh, the DC Universe's best interests at heart. Or at least Superman's. So, She's always got Superman's best interests. Yeah, I mean, I don't, really, I don't really get it. <laughs> I think she likes him. Yeah, right. <laughs> what more can I say about our pal, Phil Hester? His art is awesome as always. Uh, I'm, you know, quite frankly, you can't trust my opinion on this because I'm never going to say a bad yeah, thing about Yeah, don't listen to Patrick. They dated. Phil dumped him. He's been trying Look, to win him back you're the same. All this you're time. not going to ever, you're never going to downplay <laughs> Phil's oh, talent Phil here. Phil Hester, I don't love you. <laughs> uh, but really, it is, it is 
a very distinct, interesting art style. I'm happy to see Phil on a high profile gig, uh, even if it's only for a couple of issues. Uh, there is a backup story by writer Sean Lewis and artist Sammy Basri, who I forgot all about. Sammy he Basri. did a bunch of yeah, that dude's Jimmy great. Olsen stuff. Yeah, back when Jeff Johns was writing yes. uh, Jeff Johns and James Robinson, uh, he did a bunch of Jimmy Olsen stuff that I loved. Uh, this story features the return of Bibbo Bobowski, and it was completely forgettable. <laughs> and I love Bibbo. <laughs> Uh, Basri's art was great, though, and I'm happy to see him back. Uh, I haven't always been thrilled by Johnson's writing in the past, but I think that he could be a good fit for the Man of Steel. Superman 29 gets a buy it. Yeah, I really like this. And there's a really good moment that sold me on it. And like you said, at first it was just sort of like, oh, Superboy's back for the weekend or whatever from the future and hanging out yeah, with he's home from he's home from future college yeah, he bought his laundry he's done spring break we'll say and uh there's a really effective moment where something happens to dad and not only does superboy recognize it but anybody who's been reading superman for a long time is gonna go whoa that's that's different i didn't oh <laughs> that's worrisome and i yeah. really liked it i'm a i'm also a big fan of hester's but i felt like he really toned his style down just i was gonna say he really toned it down a little bit that doesn't make sense he toned his style down just a little bit here and his line is a little thinner and it looks great really well i think really um great. you know we're so used to seeing phil inked by uh andy parks that could be it that could be it this is by eric gapster uh who is a, a another iowa boy and uh it's definitely got a slightly different look to it i'm just glad they got that son of a bitch andy parks out of there don't get me started yeah on get your fedora out of here parks <laughs> nobody needs it no i'm giving this a buy it i thought it was a great first issue and it balanced the super stuff really well with some really nice personal family moments it didn't get as wordy as some of like the other philip kennedy johnson stuff that he did when we reviewed was it the Superman War of the Worlds or whatever it was, or War Worlds? Uh, or Worlds at War. Worlds yeah, at I, mean, War. I mean, I liked that. I know uh, you that did. story, I but just, like, I thought it wandered off a little bit. I thought this stayed right on pace, and it was a lot of fun to read. I'm excited to see where this goes. My first review is X Men: Children of the Atom. This also came out last week. It's written by Vita Ayala with art by Bernard Chang. A group of ex-mutant women that lost their powers on M-Day. You know, that time when the Scarlet Witch took away the powers of every mutant on the Earth and fundamentally changed reality, as she's known to do when she gets upset about things. <laughs> the Hells... It happens. The Hells Bells are back, and they're causing trouble. Get it? Hells Bells. B-E-L-L-E-S. Get it? Right? It's cute. I get it. Yeah. And they're causing trouble that only the X-Men, question mark, kids question mark can stop them a new group of mutants with very similar powers to the x-men we know and love are hitting the streets but the x-men have no clue who they are joe and i were dead wrong calling our shot that these would be the first chimera x-men you know unless later on we find out mr sinister is behind their creation Cyclops Lass, Marvel Guy, Cherub, Gimmick, and Daycrawler are your new team, and they're just kids in high school. Also, I gotta say, these are some of the worst X code names I have ever encountered. <laughs> they're bad, but I think that they're, they're bad, bad by design. Do you? Like, maybe they're yeah, kids. Yeah, because, like, they're kids, right? I they're guess. Just okay, I hadn't thought about it like that. 
And yes. They're play acting. Right. I'll take it. High school kids came up with it. So yes, perhaps Marvel Guy and Daycrawler and Cyclops Lass are okay. Gimmick? Yeah, I mean, because that's like no no professional writer in 2021 is going to name a a legit character Cyclops Lass. That's fair. And I'll talk about it. There is an eye boy. We'll get to it in the end of my review. I don't want to talk about it now. I don't need another group of young mutants when we already have so many that are being underused. And I can't say this story sold me on the idea of another group of young mutants, but instead it left me wondering, is this another group of young mutants? (laughs) I found myself more confused with this story than excited for more. It doesn't help that this issue was supposed to come out months ago and was postponed by the pandemic. Almost a year ago. Yeah. Given the choice to just Put it out now why the other X titles are pretty much up to date and not mentioning anything that happens with this group in those X titles. I have to wonder if I need to be invested in this or this is just a story about some new X kids that's going to be over in four issues. If nothing else, Magma and Maggot show up. That was kind of neat, right? <laughs> Hey, there's yeah. kind of weird art by Chang too. Like he's not bad, but he makes some kind of strange choices in his fight scenes by like zooming into things really tight rather than pulling back to show you action. And I didn't really get it. And honestly, it left me a little confused as to what was happening at some points. Like you have a character that is obviously calling another character out. I'm coming to kick your ass. And then we cut to a scene of like someone's arm grab, like climbing something. And then we cut to a scene of <laughs> someone's eyes. And it's like, I can't identify who these characters are. Or what's uh, happening. It's like a, it's like a superhero movie from like 15 years ago. Sort of. Where it's yeah. like all close ups and quick cuts. Right. Or a Transformers battle scene from any of the Transformers movies where it's just like blurred robots fighting. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm giving this a skim it because I don't think this is, going to lead to anything. I think there is a twist that's coming that is not as clever as the writer thinks it is. And I don't know how interested I am. Um, this is a skimmit for me as well. And, uh, but I had a different, um, my reasoning is different. Like I saw that there's a twist. Uh, there's a twist ending at the end of this issue and I saw it coming almost from the very start. Yeah. And I think it reveals the bigger twist that they think is very clever is what I'm talking. Right. About. I mean, and it's not, it's not, not clever. It's fine. Um, I guess. Depending on what they do, if this is going to be, you know, if there are a group of depowered mutants, you know, like the hell's bells were, that seems kind of boring to me. Um, what I think the twist is saying is much more interesting if that's the path they go down, but it's too early to tell. Uh, I, I think that the silliness of their costumes and their code names is definitely yeah. on purpose no, because they that. are children. Uh, basically, they're fan fiction uh, cosplayers or whatever you want to call them. And so that's kind of a fun uh, take. But at the end, I was just like, eh, I guess. I mean, whatever. Yeah. And it's not it's not that I thought that the delay hurt the book, because like if you read any other X book right now, post Ten of Swords, they're all just doing their own thing again. You know, no, and that's lead, fair. Leading up to the leading up to the next big thing. That's fair. So it just not- seems like something like if it's going to be a thing and it is what we 
think it is and what the X-Men are discussing in the book, they would make a bigger deal out of it. And they're obviously not making a big deal out of it. Well, I think that I think that we only had a, a, a few issues solicited before the pandemic put the book on hold. And so that and, and so there will be a course correction pretty quick. Like, I think the book will catch up to current X events pretty fast. Uh, as it as it stands now, like I didn't really feel like there was a huge disconnect because yeah, Storm shows up and she's sure just like Storm sure. from the book I read the other day, and there wasn't anything about the story uh, about the execution of the story that made me go yeah I really want to I'm really invested yeah it was unremarkable you know? at best that, that I'm, I'm that's where I'm at I'm vaguely curious about the mystery about their identities. Eh. but but that's it you know it's just like a cursory like ah, that could be fun i'll maybe i'll check it out again yeah but it's not it's nothing that i i like i have to say look you got to rush out and get children of the atom right right it's 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 can't miss x x action yeah because it's not and it seems pretty obvious where it's going so yeah if we're wrong great good excellent prove us wrong right like i'll definitely give it you know a couple issues to to find its footing but yeah Puckish partners in plunder. Batman has been outwitted, and the fabulous jewel collection is ours. <laughs> Next up for me is the Joker, number one from DC. You might notice a theme with my reviews this week. There was a lot of DC stuff to talk about, so I'll allow. It's all it's all Infinite Frontier all the time for me. I am so tired of Joker stories. Like, just so tired. Yeah, he's a completely unrelatable character that I feel like DC is trying to get me to relate to. He's not a villain to be celebrated. He's a villain to be feared and talked about with a hushed whisper in dark alleys, like an urban legend or, you know, like the Punisher, you know, except Marvel wants to make the Punisher a superhero. <laughs> Luckily, writer James Tinian, the four makes this Jim Gordon's story as the retired commissioner is recruited by a mysterious group of billionaires to do what the Batman refuses to do. Set in the aftermath of the Joker War and Infinite Frontier number zero, a horrific attack on Arkham Asylum has left hundreds dead, including, allegedly, some of Batman's most famous enemies. Everyone assumes the Joker is to blame because there's, you know, Joker gas and grinning, but there's something different about it. Things may not be as they seem. Tinian shows Gotham reeling from the event through Gordon's eyes while also giving us insight about his past as a detective and his relationship with the Joker. Gordon still carries the wounds left by Joker's assault on his family. And this latest attack may be enough to push him over the edge. Guillaume March's art can be hit and miss for me. Oh, uh, but get I, out of I here. thought it was He's so good. I love uh, it. You know, like sometimes it's just weird. Oh, I love him. Uh, I did think it was pretty strong here overall. Uh, there is a backup story by Tinian, Sam Johns, and artist Mirka Andolfo about Punchline. I don't mind Punchline. <laughs> I could care less about Punchline. I don't mind Punchline. But I have to admit, that the idea that there's this cult of personality that's sprung up around the Joker's latest sidekick and that like the youth of Gotham city are celebrating her as some sort of folk hero. Totally. 
It's an interesting take. Well, and it's really clever. It all came out of that court case where she pretended yeah, yeah. to be the victim and whatnot. Like, right. It was really well executed. I got. Yeah. Say. No. I, like, I, I, I think that, like, when they, when they introduced, uh, oh, there's a, there's a new Harley Quinn. Her name is Punchline, and she's sexy, but I'm, she's less wacky. I'm blaming DC for that. No, no, no. Yeah. Again, it's all, it's all, it's the marketing machine. Yeah. Like. Ooh, the variant cover of a random issue of Batman is now going for hundreds of dollars because it had punchline. Right. Shut up. Shut up. Okay. That's also not DC's. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. it. But like, so whenever I hear about punchline, my eyes roll back in my skull. But I think that this is an interesting take on this sort of character. Uh, the Joker, number one, it's a great example of how to do a solo series about an unrepentant psychopath right. I was really pleasantly surprised by this. Um, I read another review from uh, comicbook.com and they were like, this is how you do a story about a monster. You do it like Jaws, where Jaws is not the main character. Exactly. The main character is Roy Scheider. Exactly. And that's the perfect approach. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah. I, James Tinian... I don't think we gave him enough credit when he took over Batman. I think we sort of wrote him off as a placeholder writer and somebody bigger was going to come in and start writing. He has done an excellent job. He really has. His whole run yeah. has been fantastic. And, and I'm talking before any of this, I'm talking all through that punchline stuff. I really liked it and it was well executed, well written. This is excellent. And yes, and just like comicbook.com said, it, Alien is another perfect example. We'll be talking about Alien next week. Sigourney Weaver is your main character, not the aliens. That's what they're doing well here. Yeah, right, I don't want right. to follow the Joker around making a bunch of jokes. It's what I don't care about Harley Quinn. It, it just gets annoying and grating after a while. This was beautiful to look at, really well written. I loved it. Huge buy it. And I did not expect to care about this at all. Yep, same. Next up for me is Proctor Valley Road, number one from Boom. This was written by Grant Morrison and Alex Child with art by Naomi Franquise. Morrison and Child write this story set in the 70s that explores a stretch of road outside San Diego. I should let you know a real stretch of road outside of San Diego that is reportedly the most haunted road in America. The story follows a group of young girls trying to save money to buy tickets to see Janis Joplin. The girls end up taking some young boys on an organized and, of course, paid-for spook tour of Proctor Valley Road to play on the local fears and ghost stories of that area. But after the boys go missing, they have to decide whether to continue the tours or find out what's really happening out on the most haunted stretch of road in America. This felt like a real departure for Morrison to me in the sense that it was just kind of a straightforward supernatural horror story with a great cast. Yeah. The script opens like any great horror film with a creepy tease and then jumps into the story of our gang of heroines. Frank Quiz's art is charming and cartoony at times, but it can quickly become mortifying. <laughs> There was one panel where we finally get somewhat of a look at the at one of the supernatural threats, and it was excellent. Also, right out of the mythos of this area. 
Child and Morrison developed the cast really well, write excellent foul-mouthed dialogue straight out of the 70s with some pointed anti-Vietnam War themes as well. This was just a great first issue of what looks to be a creepy, fun new series for readers who like Paper Girls and Something's Killing the Children and fans of Stranger Things. Go pick this up. This is a buy it. And it's like really quietly came out. Normally, Graham Morrison gets his name on something and people flip the fuck out. But <laughs> this is kind of quietly yeah, out there. Yeah. You know, um, I feel the same way about uh, his other boom stuff like uh, Klaus, uh, the book about Santa Claus. I feel like Klaus got a lot of like attention, sexy, though. sexy Santa Claus. I think I just think that Klaus got quite a bit of attention. It definitely uh, maybe. did. I, I, I guess I don't know. Uh, if nothing other than like, hey, want to read about Santa as a superhero? And people are like, no. And they're like, Graham Morrison's doing it. And they went, okay, I'll buy it. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, yeah, I this was a surprise, you know? It was uh, a, a fun, um, it's very Hellboy-esque in the way that it like focuses on folklore-ish monsters. Well, instead of like, except it's not like Eastern, but this it's is not like Eastern Europe. This is more like new school Americana. Like the stories of Proctor Valley Road aren't real old stories. No, but that's what I'm saying. But it's They're still like supposed to be old stories. But it's, it's still like, um, it's still like, you know, local legends, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's, it's uh, new Americana folklore, if you will. Sure. I right. Uh, the art it it's very deceptive. It's got yeah. this kind of like lumber Janesy boombox totally house like, oh, it's style. Cute. It's fun, isn't this adorable? Then it's like here's a horrifying monster. Okay, back yeah, to the look cute at stuff. This, look at this. Uh, <laughs> look at this terrifying bull monster tear things to pieces. Yeah. it's like oh my god. Uh, yeah, it, I liked this very much. I'm giving it a buy. It. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, my first review from this week is of Justice League number 59, also from DC. When a powerful invader from another universe attacks the kingdom of Kandak, Black Adam, a.k.a. Shaz Adam, teams up with the Justice League to drive him away. But where did he come from? Meanwhile, Green Arrow wants to mix up the super friends in an effort to make the League more proactive. Reading the current era of Justice League has felt like a bit of a chore to me. Uh, I would argue it felt like a second job. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, it, it's just like constant stories about the fate of all creation yeah. and like, Oh, you think the universe is in jeopardy? What about the multiverse? What about the omniverse? Yeah. Oh like, yeah. Oh my God. How about the metal verse? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Guys, shut enough, enough. Uh, I was skeptical when DC announced that Bendis would be taking over the writing duties. Uh, his past work on team books, uh, let's say it's got a certain cadence to it that can be a little off-putting with characters all talking with the same snarky voice. I was really happy, though, to find that this was a straightforward reorganizing the team, uh, you know, new era kind of superhero tale. Bendis seems to have a good grasp of each character's distinct voice. And while the villain does seem a little generic at first, very similar to, you know, the Superman uh, two-parter, it's clear that there is a larger mystery here waiting to play out. The art by David Marquez and Tamara Bonvillain is excellent. 
Marquez is a very talented superhero artist. He's capable of delivering dynamic action scenes and uh, surprisingly like emotional facial expressions. Bond villains color art is vibrant and exciting. Like there is a spread. It's not a spread, but uh, there is a page where uh, Hawk girl faces off with the, uh, with the villain, the interdimensional villain and something happens. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like staring at a black light poster. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, they like smeared, oh God, that's it's like they gorgeous. smeared all the color around them sort of. And it yeah. just, man, it looks amazing. Yeah. Well, it was really beautiful. Justice League 59 is a strong start to what I hope will be a breath of fresh air for the series. It's been so long. It's been so long since I've been excited about the Justice League. Tell me about it. And I read this and I was like, yes, I want more of this. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I, I think if there's going to be criticisms of this, it's going to be that, oh, okay, Bendis is introducing another alien menace, very Rogelzar out of Superman. Yeah, yeah, Although exactly. I will say, I really liked where that Rogelzar story went. I thought it was fantastic. And, and, and to, you know, in fairness to this, without spoiling anything, uh, it does tie in to an established story that we've already seen from DC uh, with a new character. Yeah. In this case, he is introducing a new sort of alien menace villain that is obviously from a different dimension, but they're going to have to do something to sell us on the fact that black Adam is going to work with the justice league. And this is obviously the catalyst for that. And I'm fine with it. They handled it so well in this first issue. Like when Superman showed up and talked to him at first, he, Superman was even yeah. looked at Black Adam like something's wrong here because this like they dude, didn't immediately. Black Adam does not this. get shaken. He doesn't. <laughs> so. Right. What I what I really appreciated about this approach is that the league did not immediately start throwing fists at Black Adam. Yeah. Like they didn't treat him like a threat. No, they're they were like, just no, like, he's the, he's the ruler of a sovereign nation. Yeah. And they're like, there's a problem he's, here. He's kind of a jerk, and but they, he needs help. And they even yeah. like basically said like, you obviously need help with this. And they didn't say we're here to take, get out of the way. We're taking over or whatever. Yeah. It and was, then I think, it, and then I think they apologized to him for like showing up uninvited. No, they get kicked out. Right, but he's like, you know, uh, but I thought that... Uh, There's a great there panel. A- There's a great panel where he's like, all right, time to go. And Aquaman's like, all right, I get kicking my ass out. He's like, but nobody kicks Superman out. You understand? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, right. It was great. Yeah, yeah, but it's not like an apology as much as like you're it's in like, trouble. Hey, Black Adam, I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Please forgive us. But this was great. It didn't all sound like Brian Michael Bendis speaking out of everyone's mouth. They are leaning into that Momoa Aquaman look a little bit here, I'll say. Well, I mean, that I don't ha- mind that's it. been happening in Aquaman. Yeah, I don't mind it. It looks good. The art was stunning. It, this was the best looking Justice League book I've seen in a while. I'm super excited for this. Huge buy. My first book from this week is Nonstop Spider-Man. Number one from Marvel. It's written by Joe Kelly with art by Chris Bacalo. Or Bacallo. I don't know. One of the two. I think it's Bacalo. It's a little peek behind the curtain here. I have a format I lay out for every comic review I write. And this first part that I'm reading right now is the, quote, what happens part. I know this story deals with drug dealers that have some crazy tech. I know that the Spidey in the costume is Peter. But I don't know how old Peter is supposed to be here. 
I yeah, I, I told did you. not know. I know. Uh, just stay with me. This is this is my thoughts as I'm writing this. I did not know how old Peter was supposed to be. I did not know when this story took place. I didn't know if this story took place in any Spidey continuity that I even knew or understood. Not because anything wildly bizarre was happening, but Peter is in college. And Peter appears to be a kid, as drawn by Chris Bacolo here. It turns out, in speaking with Joe, that Nick Spencer has done something where Peter lost all his degrees, so he went back to college. And all they had to do, all they had to do to help an old man like me out was that one little box that says, see what's going on in Amazing Spider-Man, whatever. And I go, oh, okay. I'm sure something happened, and I'm not even going to worry about it. Without that, I had no fucking clue what I was reading here. I thought I was reading like sure. some untold tale of young spider kid. Baclo's art is outstanding, as always. He is one of my all-time favorites. And he has this unmatched sense of style and point of view and action that I just don't think any other artist can capture. The book is stunning to look at. The, the first action scene is of Peter and he's falling off a building and he's counting the stories as he's falling and thinking about what he needs to do on the way down while other things are popping into his head and he's trying to be like, focus, Peter, you got to think here. It's very well written as well. The, there was a lot to like here, but it also felt like I was just dropped into the middle of some established secondary Spidey continuity that was already well in progress. And nothing really grabbed me, even the way the dialogue was written. I like Joe Kelly a lot, but it almost felt like older guy trying to write cool kids, yep. right? Yep. And like Peter doesn't talk like that. Is he just talking like this because he's in college again? I don't know. I can only give this a skim it. It just was not what I was hoping for. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was underwhelming. Uh, I was excited for it. I'm yeah. a huge Joe Kelly fan. I'm a huge Chris Bacalo fan. And um, I just thought like, you know, the, the villainous plot was kind of unimpressive yeah whatever well, pardon me not not the not their plot rather but the villains themselves i'm like this is your this is how you kick off the book with these kind of like faceless henchmen right yes there's a backup story there's a backup story uh, drawn by dale eaglesham that reveals the true villain behind the um the drug runners in the lead story but all through the lead story i was like this is it but even the dale eaglesham story while very again beautiful to look at i still was like okay that's that's where this is going, huh? All right. Users yeah, are losers. Spider-Man's going to teach me that users are losers. Got it. <laughs> right, yeah. And, and you know, I I know that you loved it, but I actually thought that Bacalo's art was not great in this issue. Really? Um not like the talent is there, his storytelling chops are there. It's as weird and wacky, and you know, it's got these crazy layouts. It's got all the hallmarks of Chris Bacalo's work. But there's something like in the details of the like you said, like you look at Peter Parker and you're like, is he a teenager in this? Yeah, What's he going looked, on? They they drew him like he was 18. It was and bizarre. I can understand that like if you didn't know the context of the current status quo, you'd be confused because visually. You're like, yes, this is an untold tale 
of young college age Spider-Man. Right. I mean, and like, um, and you can't, so not knowing that and you, you put him, not only are you drawing him like he's very young. And if it was just a regular Spider-Man story, I'd be like, wow, they sure drew him like he was young, but then put him in college on top of that. How can I not think that we are looking back in time <laughs> without telling me there's no yeah. preamble. There's nothing. There's no Peter Parker lost all his degrees. Now he's back in school. It's time for nonstop Spider-Man. You know, like that's all you got to do. And I go, all right, that I, now I know what's going <laughs> sure. on. Right. Yeah. It, this is a skim it. Uh, I, I was hoping for more um, and hopefully it gets better, but the first issue didn't really grab onto me. Yeah. It's too bad. My final review for this week is Nightwing 78 from DC. Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo are the new creative team on the book. And finally, Nightwing feels right again. <laughs> As Garth Ennis dealt with the Punisher's brief supernatural stint in the late 90s, Taylor wisely dismisses Dick Grayson's unfortunate recent past as an amnesiac cab driver with a clever one-liner and then never brings it up again. Yeah, just great, excellent. Great job. And, and, and literally, oh, there's one line where he says, I uh, was somebody else. You know, like, perfect. Okay. Yeah. And he all- makes, like, he makes fun of it. Even. Yeah, we're past it's like, it. If you're not careful, <laughs> if you're not careful, you'll end up driving a cab and calling yourself Rick. We get a glimpse at Dick's first meeting with Barbara Gordon. Uh, some insight into his relationship with Alfred, uh, RIP Alfred, and a new status quo that still feels like coming home to an old friend. Bruno Redondo's art is truly spectacular here. It He's got, uh, much like David Marquez, he's got a very dynamic superhero style. Most he's definitely. great. But it's also very uh, clean. It's very clean. It's very clean. Um, and he, he does this thing, and I don't know if it's Redondo or the colorist, uh, who is Adriano Lucas, but it's got, uh, there's this like Zipatone shading style at play. That I really love. Yeah. As I was saying, Lucas's colors are also excellent. The brightness uh, really sets Dick's home in Bloodhaven apart from the grittiness of Gotham City. You know, not that Bloodhaven's not a dangerous place, but it ain't Gotham. (laughs) The double page title spread is jaw dropping. Like Matt literally texted me about this before we started recording today. He's like, this might be the perfect comic book page i, and I, I agree. seriously i turned to that page and like got a little misty i was just like yeah that's it there it is yeah yeah right it that's fucking right. nightwing that, <laughs> yes exactly that is nightwing yeah after a really rough couple of years taylor and redondo have breathed new life into nightwing and into dick grayson issue 78 gets a huge buy it yeah, I mean, you pretty much said everything I was going to say. This just felt like Nightwing again. And not just Nightwing, it felt like Dick Grayson again, more importantly. Right. Right. And it was just great. Then nothing huge happens. They reestablish an old villain that we'll talk about later on in the show. And I loved it. And it looked great. And it felt like Nightwing. And thank you for just doing what this character does. Put him back in Bloodhaven where we loved him. Let him do his Batman thing there, but do it his way. That's all you need. Yes. Go, you know? And God, it was so good. I loved it. Huge buy. Right. And like, and we're going to talk about, like you said, we're going to talk about Dick's uh, various roles uh, in our final segment this week. But, you know, this is 
it's quintessential Dick Grayson Nightwing. He's not trying to be Batman. He's not in Batman's shadow. Yeah. He's his own man. And I like, I think that th- like he's there Darede- was a long, he's Daredevil without the soul pain. That's what he yes, is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know? I, like I, I felt there was a long time uh, in the like late 90, like mid, mid to late nineties, early two thousands, where I would have said Nightwing is DC's strongest character. Oh yeah. You know, without a doubt. Uh, like he's just one, one of DC's best realized characters. And then they've just spent a decade and a half just flushing him down the toilet. And he's back. Well, he's back. Just like him, that. Running him through issue. the ringer for no reason. Because yep. it, it just, like, for no reason whatsoever. And yeah. making the character suffer in ways that this character probably would not suffer because he's not that guy. Right. And, and it just, this, yeah. It, this is, it seems easy on paper, but we need it. And it works. And it was just great. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I'm, I'm so impressed with how quickly and seemingly effortlessly these guys were able to rehabilitate a character but th- that that's has what Tom needed King it does. for so long. Th- pardon, Tom not Taylor, Tom, Tom Taylor. Pardon me. That's what Tom Taylor does. Tom Taylor understands, can look and boil down a character and go, all right, what's the coolest thing about this character? It's this and this. All right. That's what we're doing. And that's all you need. That's really all you need. And then let the character breathe and tell a good story around them, you know? Yep. My final review goes to Ultra Mega, number one from Image. This was written and drawn by James Heron with colors by Dave Stewart. Imagine Ultraman with giant body horror monsters and a tech metal soundtrack. And you have Ultra Mega. A down-and-out boxer gets offered a cosmic power to protect the universe against a virus that turns people into giant kaiju nightmares. Unlike Ultraman, Ultra Mega is more of a curse than a smiling protector with a team of plucky monster hunters. Ultra Mega is a lonely, middle-aged man who hasn't had a day off since he gained his powers. And to top it off, he's part of the problem. Ultra Mega has to be around to fight off the victims of the virus, but he also triggers their transformation into monsters in sort of this like cosmic infinity loop. He's sort of stuck in this game. James Heron is an amazing artist who I first encountered on a Hellboy miniseries. I can't remember which one it was off the top of my head, but I, I think it was BPRD actually. Was it a BPRD? I feel like he was, he started, he's got to start on like BPRD stuff. I instantly fell in love with his creepy art. I never thought I would see him working on a giant monster book. Now, don't get me wrong. The art is still horrifying here, but it's bigger than ever with giants battling so violently that the raw concussive blasts of their punches knock out populations while leveling cities. If you have ever wondered what happens when a monster as large as Godzilla explodes Wow, have I got a comic for you. <laughs> this is just an intensely gross, amazing buy it. it, it I, I cannot say enough about Heron's style here, what he did with the idea of Ultraman, which is so ridiculous, and the creepy, creepy monsters that he draws. This is so violent. And when I say violent, I mean rivers of blood that flood a city and drown people and then trap their corpses in giant scabs kind of violent. Okay. You've been warned. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it is, it, it's definitely intense. Uh, but James Heron 
he just kills it. God, he kills it here. I loved this. And, uh, you know, I'm not like, I never really grew up with the uh, 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 affection for kaiju and things like Matt did. But, like, it's hard not to look at this and just completely be hypnotized by it. Yeah, it it's an amazing effort. Yeah, it's it's a stunning comic book. Uh, it is it is gleefully violent, <laughs> and uh, in a way that I probably haven't seen in a, in a while. <laughs> and I loved it. I loved it. James Heron is a tremendous talent. He really is. And hey. Props to him for uh, for being a double threat as the writer. Yeah, really well written too. And serendipitous. I was watching all like Ultraman. All the Ultraman series are now up on like ShoutTV.com. You can watch them for free. And I had been watching them all day during work yesterday. And then I read this at the end of the day. I was like, Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it was so good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really it's really an amazing comic. That is it for reviews, and now it's time to pick the star of the pile, Matt. Which one of these comics goes into the collection? I'm giving it to Ultra Mega. As, as much as I loved the return to Nightwing, it, that was sort of a personal thing for me, so I don't know if it's going to hit everybody like it did me. I think a lot of people read it and be like, yeah, it's a good comic book. And again, Justice League, super pleasant surprise, but Ultra Mega was just unlike anything I have read in a very long time. Yeah, I'm not going to go back into it, but man, I can't say enough about how fucking kick-ass that book was. Uh, I mean, for me, it's Nightwing with a bullet. Nightwing 78, because I just, like, I wanted it so bad, and it delivered on every level. And it's rare for a comic to do that. And I'm just, I'm so excited about where the character's going, what these creators are going to do. Welcome back, Nightwing. Yeah. After a drunken St. Patty's Day review session like that, we like to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. We can polish our Black Tom Shillelagh replica we picked up from the Diamond Closeout catalog. Can you believe this thing was five bucks? It's beautiful. <laughs> That's just a stick, though. That's, uh, you know, therein lies the rub. I mean, it's a replica. But more importantly, we're here to talk about what you need to be reading next week. Joe Patrick, what's your must-read pick for next Wednesday? Next week, I am looking forward to Batman Superman number 16 from DC Comics. It's written by Gene Luen Yang with art by Ivan Rice. It's uh, 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. In the aftermath of Dark Knight's death metal, catch a glimpse of brave new worlds within the DC universe. But what are these strange planets? As we delve into the parallel lives of the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight, we'll meet new villains, new heroes, alternate realities, and a trans-dimensional collision that you will need to see to believe. It's the dastardly debut of a cadre of new villains, including the Spider Lady and her poisonous webs, Dr. Webb, who sports a kryptonite pendant, and the maniacal machinations of the unknown wizard. Not the web wizard? I thought we were building the thing. Yeah, there. I know. I thought there was I thought there was a pattern here. You've never seen Batman and Superman like this before, so buckle up and get ready for the start of a new era, courtesy of those guys I mentioned already. So
I haven't really been following Superman, uh, Batman, Superman. Jingle and Yang has been on it for a little while, I think. Yeah. More than a year. Uh, I, I know that he, for sure he did the future state ones. Uh, but I am very curious about this kind of like magical mystery tour through the various incarnations of Batman and Superman uh, throughout the multiverse. It just looks really interesting to me. And uh, Ivan Rice is the new artist and Ivan Rice is just tremendous. Ivan Rice is a stone badass. I haven't loved Gene Wing Yang, Superman and Batman. I think it's good. I don't know. I mean, I'm going to give us a read. I'm excited about all the Infinite Horizons stuff I've read so far. So I'm going to check it out. But my pick for next week is Alien, number one, from Marvel Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Salvador La Roca. It was 40 pages for $4.99, and here's your solicit. The iconic cinematic terror makes its Marvel debut! Okay, settle down, guys. Gabriel Cruz gave his life to Wayland yutani In the case of an alien attack, he barely survived. Almost literally! What? Gabriel Cruz what? Yeah, what? gave his life to Wayland yutani in the case of an alien attack, he barely survived, comma, almost literally. Oh, all right. I So I think they're saying he almost literally gave his life to Waylon Yutani. Okay, gotcha. Where I think we're, it's, it's oddly phrased, but yeah. Gotcha. All right, sorry. Recently retired Cruz is trying to patch things up with his abandoned son with the help of his friend, a bishop model android, but his re-entry into civilian life is not going smoothly. And his encounters with the deadly Xenomorph are far from over. Philip Kennedy Johnson and Salvador La Roca team up to tell the all-new tale of the titan of horror and science fiction that has scared audiences for decades on screen. It's very hard to get that scary kind of jump stuff in comics. That's not written in there. But anyway, no one is safe, no one is innocent, and no one can hear you scream. Parental advisory! (laughs) So... It's an adult book, which is good. I'm glad they're not dialing it down. Alien should be an adult book. This is not a book for children. I am more curious than I am excited to see what happens here. I I just don't know. We've talked about alien books at length and how they kind of can fall into a pattern of here's some new humans and oh, what's that? An alien egg and oh no, we're in an alien story. The end. So we'll see. I'm very curious to see what Marvel does with it. It's just a matter of time before Conan and Wolverine take on the alien, but here we are. <laughs> I think the Xenomorph is uh, due to join the Savage Avengers yep. any day now. First, the aliens will show up. They'll fight the Savage Avengers, and then they'll realize, wait a minute, there's yeah, a bigger the queen, enemy. The queen, will, the queen will become the leader of the Savage We've got to team up. <laughs> yeah, right. The THN trade of the week goes to Swamp Thing, the new 52 omnibus from DC Comics. It's written by Scott Snyder and Charles Soule. With art by Yannick Paquette, Francesco, Francavia, Kano, and I think there's probably some other guys in there. Here's your solicit. One of DC's most compelling characters is reborn for a new age. Since the dawn of time, the planet's safety has depended on maintaining a balance of three great powers. The green, the force that unites all plant life. The red, the force that unites all animal life. And the rot, the The force of death. The force that eats the forces. (laughs) Yeah, right. Each generation, the green selects an avatar to serve as its protector, the Swamp Thing. But Dr. Alec Holland, the green's newest champion, is no longer interested in the role. The Rot's own avatar is growing stronger, and servants of decay gain more territory every day. 
If Alec doesn't return to his duties soon, there might not be any green left to protect. Uh, this is an omnibus, so it collects an absurd number of comics, uh, including Swamp Thing 0 through 40. 23.1 uh, the first three annuals the futures end tie-in animal man 12 and 17 and aquaman 31 so there's some crossover action going on here so we make fun of a lot of stuff that happened in new 52 and we should because there was a lot of bad stuff the swamp thing book and the animal man book were two exceptions they yep. were fantastic and quite yep. honestly the scott snyder stuff is not the best stuff it's it's good don't get me wrong. I like the Scott Snyder run, but when Charles Soule got on this book, oh my God, did it get good. It, yeah, wonderful stuff. And I highly, I highly recommend looking in that Animal Man run too. It was fantastic. You can find our complete review list every Wednesday on our Twitter and our Facebook if you want to read along with us. So hit up your local comic shop and pre-order all these comics so you can play along. Don't forget, go out grab the THN book club read this month it's scene of the crime which reprints the classic vertigo crime noir story by the master ed brubaker with art by michael lark it is available now at your local comic shop we will be reviewing it with some friends at the end of the month as part of the THN book club that's right take a look it's in a book club take a look it's in a book club <laughs> As you heard earlier, Nightwing is back on track, so the comic pushers thought this might be a perfect time to talk about some must-read Dick Grayson stories. Matt, these junkie nerds are craving some dick. <laughs> I had to do it. <laughs> I know. What you got for him? So my first pick has to go to Nightwing, a, a night in Bloodhaven. We were just talking about what we love about Nightwing and what Tom Taylor is doing so well with that character. I forget how long ago that this Chuck Dixon and Scott McDaniel story took place. It's like so, 1996. So there's a lot of people out there that don't know about this Nightwing, that never yep. read this Nightwing, have never encountered him. And this is the quintessential Nightwing. This is Dick finally shedding Robin, getting out of Batman's shadow, and not trying to be Batman, and not trying to be a Titan either. Just saying, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do it my way. He moves to Bloodhaven. It is like the shittiest version of Detroit compared to like, yeah. you know, the gnarly Gotham city. It's a war zone basically. And it's run by a guy named Blockbuster who we meet later on in the series, who is a fantastic foil for Dick Grayson. Scott McDaniel's art is so goddamn cool in this book. And it's one of the first times that I can think of, and I'm sure it's not the first time, but it's one of the first times I can think of where they showed an acrobatic character being acrobatic by drawing them in poses all over a panel. Yeah, like, right. Not just mm -hmm. like, oh, here's a picture of him flipping. It's, um 
Starting the flip, jumping off the building, flipping through the air, landing on another building, jumping back up, flipping again. You know, like so you see the whole like animated. It's version. almost like a flip book, like flip book animation totally. where each each panel or each pose is a different frame. And it is so cool, not just for his acrobatics, but also for like the kung fu fight scenes. This is where we really establish Dick Grayson as a complete hand-to-hand combat badass. And Man, I love this series so much. This collects Nightwing Volume 2, number 1 through 8. This is back in the 90s. I cannot recommend this enough. Yeah, there was a... Um, I'll never forget that there's a... So, like, at the, at the point this came out, Dick Grayson had been Nightwing for, like, a decade. Right. He became Nightwing uh, in the New Teen Titans, the Judas, uh, the Judas contract, right? The Judas contract? I believe so, yeah. And... You know, he had the high collar with the yellow and, you know, it was, it was an 80, a very eighties, you know, costume, but it also, it, like, it wasn't Dick. It wasn't this character. It was him it was, being a yeah, super you know. guy on a super team, you know? And like, look, he's Robin. He grew up fighting bat villains on the streets of Gotham. That's where he belongs. And this puts right. him back where he belongs. Right. So, you know, this, uh, you know, though he does kind of eventually transition to a different costume, it's a very 90s look with like, he's got a ponytail. And I'll never forget that there is a scene in Nightwing number one from this collection where he dodges a a villain swinging a, a machete or a knife or whatever. And it cuts his ponytail off. Yeah. And it's like this like silent indictment. Uh, it, it's like the, their way of saying like, look, we get it. Trust us. We got it. Yeah. We, we got this. We're not doing that shit. Don't worry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so this is kind of, uh, this is kind of from the part of the nineties that emerges from that, uh, sillier excess, uh, of right. the earlier part of the decade. And, you know, Chuck Dixon is Chuck Dixon. And we're not going to really say much more about that. But back then, Chuck Dixon is a, is nobody, a, is nobody a had a writer. better, nobody had a better handle on Batman and his supporting cast than Chuck Dixon. Yes. Chuck Dixon is a 90s. fantastic writer and a terrible person. You can think two things about a person at the same sure, time. Sure. Two things can be true at once. <laughs> yes. Uh, and this, but yeah, this is a phenomenal collection. It was a phenomenal run. And it is the run of, it's the run featuring this character that like really made me love oh, yeah. Dick Grayson. Absolutely. My first pick, since you took Nightwing, I'm going to focus on his other identities. My first pick is Robin Year One, also by Chuck Dixon. Uh, this is drawn, uh, uh, pardon me, it's co-written by uh, Scott Beatty, or Scott Beatty. Beatty. And it's drawn <laughs> by Javier Polito. It's exactly what it says on the tin, right? This is the first year of Dick Grayson's adventures as Robin. After months of training, he is now a costumed sidekick. And he is like this bright light contrasting against the darkness of Batman. Um, But as he very quickly finds out, you know, it's not all fun and games. He gets in. He gets in over his head. He fights these uh, terrifying villains. Uh, he, it's his first. It's his first matchups against uh, guys like the Mad Hatter, uh, Mister Freeze, Two Face. Uh, I did not realize 
and and Chuck Dixon kind of uh, cemented this as part of Dick Grayson's past, but like there was a pretty huge. Uh, uh, pardon me, Two Face is like a pretty huge nemesis for Dick Grayson at the beginning of his career. Yeah, uh, because he puts Dick in this like impossible situation where he learns a very harsh lesson. Oh yeah, and uh, this is just a wonderful miniseries. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it's easy for you to look at Robin as a non-fan of the character and go like, oh, my God, the pixie boots and the short shorts. He's so ridiculous. Yes, the costume is ridiculous. But Dick Grayson is the important thing here, not right. Robin. And, and this and, story, like, really, again, boiled down like, look, you are probably reading a different Robin right now in the pages of Batman. You were reading Tim. And yeah, I loved Tim, but Tim was a completely different character than Dick. And right. Dick, the difference was Tim was very good at being Robin. Tim was a detective, just like Batman. Tim was a nerd, really good with the tech stuff. And Dick Grayson legitimately loved being Robin. Loved right. it and brought that joy to the character, you know? Right. Right. Uh, so Robin Year One is a four-issue miniseries. It's available. Uh, it still looks like it's in print in both uh, trade paperback and uh, a deluxe edition hardcover like DC uh, likes to do. And absolutely check it out. It's it's from that era. Uh, this is from, I, I believe it's from the very early 2000s, like, like maybe the year 2000. And from... Uh, an era of Batman where uh, they were doing these great or an era of DC rather, where they were doing these great prestige format. 2001. There you go. Character spotlight books. Yeah. Uh, there's another one about Batgirl, a Batgirl year one that's drawn by Marcos Martin. Oh, so good. Holy crap. Uh, there, it used to be, there used to be a uh, collected edition that had both in one. I doubt that's still available. But absolutely check out Robin Year One. It's one of my favorite Dick Grayson stories. So my second pick goes to another version of Dick Grayson when he was just Dick Grayson. He had shed the costume. He became a super spy in the pages of a book called Grayson. The first volume is called Agents of Spiral, and it, can, it contains Grayson 1 through 4, a story from Secret Origins number 7, which actually wasn't about Dick Grayson at all. It was about the Huntress. And... Grayson Future's End number one. While I did not love Future's End, the Dick, the Grayson Future's End story is so goddamn cool. Like <laughs> unbearably cool. It's great. Grayson saw Dick Grayson working as a double agent essentially for a spy group called Spiral. And Spiral, as we learn, it's run by a guy named Minos, who wears a gold helmet and everything, who is collecting different uh, pieces of intel and artifacts so he can figure out the actual alter egos of the Justice League. So Batman has sent Dick Grayson to spy on Spiral. Now, the Midnighter shows up later, and it's wonderful. He's working for a different agency. He thinks that Dick Grayson has full-on turned and just wants to kill him. It's so fun. It's absolutely one of the best uses of the Huntress I've ever read as well. It's the, the new 52 introduction of the Huntress, if I recall. It is, yes. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Well, no, it um, is. Yes, yes and no. Uh, there was a— They established uh, there that they was had a, a past, though. 
there was a world's finest series that starred Power Girl and the Huntress, but it would, took place on Earth Two. It was a different different right. character. This one establishes. So yeah, this is the first that Hel- New Fifty Two Huntress. Yes, it establishes that Helena and Dick had a past, and they're meeting again. But we don't really know what that past is. The Future's End book really kind of fleshes that out, and it like tells the story in reverse. It starts with the death of Dick Grayson, and then tells the story in reverse, and. It builds on all this stuff that they sort of built on in Spiral as Dick slowly realizes that the Huntress, Helena, is also not actually working for Spiral. And they develop this coded language. that And the code is real. There's a real code that you can figure out in the book that these Tim Seeley and Tom King wrote. These fucking nerds. I love it. But there's a wonderful scene in Future's End where Helena looks at Dick and says something and I can't remember what her line is. And he looks back at her and says, I love you too. And when I first read it, I was like, what? Like, is he just being snarky? He's like, no, in code, she just looked at him and said, I love you. And he broke character and said, I love you too. And it was awesome. She said, Ibba wubba yubba yubba. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man. This, this series was just fun because Tim Seeley and Tom King got to just freak out with Dick Grayson and do whatever they want with him. Take him out of the costume and just let him be Dick Grayson. And man, they killed it. I, I think this was another one of those books that was just under the radar. And because it wasn't technically a bat book, a lot of people didn't pay attention to it. Pick this up. Grayson was so much fun. If I recall, this was kind of Tom King's big debut. This is coming out as a writer at DC. Yes. This was Tom King's first project at DC, I believe. All right. Our last Dick Grayson recommendation. I'm sure Matt will recommend it as well, but it's my pick. It goes to Batman and Robin volume one, Batman reborn. This was a trade paperback from DC. This started uh, before the new 52, uh, though there was a new 52 version of this title. Uh, this follows the events of Final Crisis, where Batman has allegedly died at the hands of Darkseid. Spoilers, he's, he's feeling much better. Yeah. Uh, Tim Drake has quit being Robin uh, because he is not convinced that Batman is gone forever. And so he's searching the world first signs of life uh so we've got a new batman and robin you guessed it it's dick grayson and bruce wayne's son damian wayne the new dynamic duo and this is written by grant morrison who had been writing batman at the time and it's drawn by frank quietly uh who is making a rare appearance in the superhero realm like he's done some superhero stuff but normally frank quietly he's off doing his own thing oh yeah this is uh dick and damien uh trying to work together despite the fact that damien fucking hates dick (laughs) he hates dick grayson he's like you don't deserve to be batman i'm better that than you at crime fighting i'm a better fighter than you i'm a better detective than you and i don't need your help And Dick is just like this fucking kid. And it's this great, like kind of odd couple story about these two trying to make this work. And it's so 
much fun. Yeah, it was it's my got like, it was my favorite thing about this era where Dick was Batman was just yeah. having Damien around. It was like, you're not my dad. You're not Batman. I don't have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, not, you're not the boss of me. Yeah, but it, was, it goes beyond that. He's like, you're not even as good as he is. I bet I could beat you up. <laughs> like he was right. such an asshole to him. <laughs> And I don't, I don't remember. Nec- I think, I think that this is like the first appearance of Professor Pig, who is like this really gross. Yeah, I think you're right. Batman villain. Yeah, uh, and like he was obsessed with quite, like plastic surgery. He was so yeah, gross. like he's he kidnaps he kidnaps women and turns them into like his dolls or what. It's it's gross. Yeah, and drawn by Frank Quietly, it's about a thousand times grosser yeah. than you're imagining it right now. It's so good. This uh, the first volume, still in print, is collecting Batman and Robin Volume One, one through six. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, obviously, if you are a fan of these creators, you know them as the creative team behind All Star Superman. Uh, this is their take on Batman and Robin. I absolutely adore it. So there you go. There's some fantastic Dick Grayson picks. What are we missing? Let us know. Talk to us this weekend on Cover to Cover. Let's hear about your favorite Dick Grayson reads out there. It's just that time of year where we like to celebrate Dick. It's Dick, 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 Dick. Get that Dick and put it in your head. That's a lot of dicks. <laughs> Excelsior! Oh. That is it for TGen 614. And next week, the Cosmic Long Box returns. And we'll be reviewing some classic comics with the theme Aliens versus dot dot dot. Little, you may not know, but the Xenomorph has fought just about everyone in the comic book universe. And we are going to pick some stories of your favorite heroes fighting aliens. Until then, are we really, are we really going to be able to find eight? Different, not a problem. Alien are you crossovers with other characters. Are you kidding me? Do you know how many series there are that are aliens? It's whoever versus yeah. aliens. Hey, you know that they're all—they're almost all going to be like extra-length prestige format <laughs> books. So I, know, I mean, some are limited series and shit like that. Buckle too. up. Yeah. Until then, Joe Patrick, remind these nerds about the question of the week that we will be discussing on Cover to Cover this Saturday. All right. Well. As you are hearing this, today was the day the Snyder Cut has dropped on HBO Max. Oh, I thought it was tomorrow. Is it today? No, as they hear, as oh, they tomorrow. are hearing this okay. episode. Sorry, it's a Back to the Future out. shit. Thursday, <laughs> Thursday, March eighteenth is a day that will live in infamy. Justice League hashtag Snyder Cut is out on HBO Max. It's R-rated. It's for goddamn hours long and we want to know your hottest takes about the Justice League Snyder Cut and the current state of the DC Extended Universe or more specifically this kind of grittier take heroes that kill right you know the graded raider aurification as I like to call it a very (laughs) sepia toned DC Universe (laughs) Uh, please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. You can send them to me via the two-headed nerd email address. Uh, that's two-headed nerd at gmail.com. You can uh, send them, uh, post them on the forums. You can post them on the fan page. Hit us up on Twitter. Please keep them coming. We we need the questions. We do it every week. If you want to rap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerd news that we are following, hit us up 
on our live call-in show. We call it THN Cover to Cover. It hits every Saturday at 11 o'clock Central Time, hosted on our Facebook page. You can call us at 402-819-4894 or join us on Zoom live by clicking on the link in the Facebook live video chat. We don't post it on Twitter because we don't want no trolls. Yeah, you Just go to the fan page. Yeah. If you can't be there live or you want to submit anything for the show, like a segment idea, a question of the week, like I said, whatever, shoot an MP3 to 2 at gmail.com or leave a message on the voicemail hotline. If we use it, you will instantly be internet famous. Your life will change. Just look at just look at guys like Brian Domingos. That guy is swimming in ladies. Yeah. Just so, like drowning in them. Not just ladies, from what I hear. If you're new to the show and you would rather your 10-year-old sidekick kick the shit out of you than have to listen to any more, I assure you, it's only because you have not heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive over at tourednerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. We want to thank donors like Amy from North Dakota. Believe it or not, there are women who listen to the show, and they will slap your face if you try and tell them different, all right? Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Alan Tudyk, star of Firefly and Serenity, who's also the star of the latest comic book adaptation on TV, Resident Alien. It's on the Sci-Fi Network. It's based on the Dark Horse comic of the same name, and it just got picked up for season two. I was seriously nervous. I was I was, I I was already like, you know what? This I'm doing the Save Our Show this year. I'm doing it. <laughs> Where do you, Harry? That's the name of his character or the character he's pretending to be. Yes. It's a wonderful show. If you've not seen it, it's it is just a joy every week. My, and my dad hit me up out of nowhere. He's like, there's this show on sci-fi called Resident Alien. It's so funny. I was like, dad, you found that? Like, maybe there's hope. And then two days later, renewed. So Steve Baum single-handedly saved Resident Alien. Nice job, Where do dad. you, Steve Baum? Good job. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just come up with some nefarious ideas for your dick. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off. Let me, I, we've, I could tell you stories. <laughs>